You are listening to the Tudor History and Travel Show, Travel Essentials, the place to be for all the best top tips and inspiration for planning your Tudor adventures. So, let's get ready to hit the road with Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide. Hello everyone, wherever you are in the world, it's a pleasure to be here with you again. Hi, this is Sarah, the Tudor Travel Guide, and we are going to be diving into this month's episode, August episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show, Travel Essentials, the show that is designed for those of you out there who love travelling through time to touch your Tudor history in person. Now, in the first section of today's show, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Philippa will be joining us as normal and we will be in conversation about British culture. So, if you are thinking of travelling over here to the UK and you want to understand a little bit more about what it's like to be a Brit and maybe how you can taste a little bit of that for yourself and fit in with the natives, then stay tuned because Philippa and I had a hoot talking about what makes us British and some of our particular British customs and quirks. So, if you are somebody who wants to travel over here and get more familiar with what it's like to be a Brit, stay tuned. But also, if you've been here before, you might want to just stay tuned and find out which one of these you have already taken part in or tasted. Yes, stay tuned for that, my friends. You have a treat coming your way. I'll then be joined by John Coupland of John England Tours. Now, he gives tours to folk who are coming over to the UK and who are particularly interested in history, including Tudor history. And John will be sharing with us one of his favourite places to visit. And then finally, as ever, I'll be delving into the world of Tudor-themed events, both online and offline, so that you can get involved for yourself and taste just that little bit of Tudor history in person, no matter where you are in the world. All right, my friends. Well, I think we are ready to pack our bags and hit the road. So, as ever, let me welcome my dear friend and Tudor time traveller, Philippa Brule of British History Tours, to the show. Hi, Philippa. Lovely to see you again. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everybody. Oh, it's so good to be back. And um, we're right in the height of summer here. And I think that's very apt with given some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Because as I mentioned at the end of our last podcast, we're kind of going to do a, a couple of things, really. But principally... We want to give you some ideas of some really British things that you must do. If you want to kind of fit in with the Brits, kind of get a bit of the um, Anglophile vibe going on, some of the things that you can do, and some of them are very cheap and easy and affordable, right the way through to the other end of the scale where we'll be talking a little bit about the the season. And if you don't know what that is, stay tuned and we will be talking about that and enlighten you in a moment. But yeah, I think we're looking forward to this, Philippa, aren't we? And as you say, kind of it's been fun to scratch our heads and go, what is it to be British and how do we do that? Indeed. What is it that we just take for granted that is uh, is part of our daily life that is actually quite quirky and uh, and, a, and a, something foreigners, you know, if you're coming in and visiting that you might want to just um, partake in to get a bit of our culture. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think any of these are particularly related to history, but you might be able to do some of them in a historic place. So yeah. maybe that's the challenge we need to, to, to throw down. If you can do any of these in a historic place and take a photo of yourself, then send it to us because we would love to see it. We would. Okay, so let's dive in, Philippa. And we perhaps we could sort of share, you go on, I go on, and we can talk about some of our favourite things, some of the things that came to mind for us. So where should we start? Over to you. Okay, well, let's start on food because it's a favourite topic of ours anyway. And, Absolutely. Uh, and actually there's quite a lot around, um, I think, British food. So why don't we start with breakfast? Should we go through the day? Yeah, let's go through the day. Yeah, <laughs> let's do day. that. So an English breakfast. I mean, if you're staying at one of our hotels or a bread and breakfast, you will probably be offered an English breakfast. Anyway, or if you're up in Scotland as well, a Scottish breakfast. Um, and this, I mean, we do go we do go for it on our breakfast. It sets you up for the day. Probably a remnant of um, times where people didn't get to stop for lunch and they just had, you know, a big breakfast, go out to work and come back for their tea. And we love it. It's it's our sausage, our bacon, eggs, gosh, black pudding, black pudding, beans, beautiful beans, mushrooms, mushrooms tomatoes, toast. If you're up in Scotland, you might get a flat sausage, like a patty. Um, haggis. You get haggis for breakfast. Haggis. No, it's black pudding again, isn't it? Up black in Scotland. Oh, I don't know. I'd have either. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just say what black pudding actually is? No, never ask what black pudding is. Just eat it. If you don't ask what it is. I think you're probably very wise. If you really want to know, go look it up for yourself, but we're not <laughs> going to talk about it here. We've made a decision, executive decision made. So, um, yes, I mean, I, um, I'm i not a meat eater anymore. I used to be, and I used to I'm devour my... <laughs> I used to, yeah. Oh, it's still a nice thought, though. Um, um, but you can, of course, get the vegetarian and vegan uh, variations. Philippa's putting her tongue out at me here. She's not impressed by this at all. But I can totally vouch that they, they are nice. But I have to say a proper English breakfast is for meat eaters, I would say. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, it sets me up for the day, I have to say. I I. I, I I, I, yeah, I genuinely have not quite the full works, but bacon and egg is often on my breakfast, you know, menu as a normal working day. I've had it today. So it is definitely, you know, a yep. real British thing. I haven't made this up. <laughs> no, no, no. And often my partner will say if he's had a ginormous English breakfast, it will be, well, I won't need any lunch now. So, you know, literally he says that every single time he has an English breakfast. So it really does. If you're worried about <laughs> whether you're going to be able to eat through the morning, don't worry, have an English breakfast. <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it? For us Brits, when we go abroad, particularly to the continent where you would normally get served continental breakfast, your breads, your croissants, your cheese, and we're all stood there looking rather forlorn going, oh no, is this, <laughs> where's, it? where's the fry up? Oh, fry up. That's our vernacular, isn't it, for it? Yeah, yeah. Yes, we call it a fry-up. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So if you go and stay at a bed and breakfast, the the lady of the house might say, no, what do you want for your fry-up this morning? And if you just (laughs) really, what on earth are you talking about? Um, It's it's your English breakfast. So Mm -hmm. that's the first place to start, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And so let's move on to, shall we move on to lunchtime? Mm -hmm. And lunchtime, you may well have heard 
Philippa and I talk about this before, uh, particularly if you've been on Clubhouse, uh, the absolute pinnacle of a lunchtime meal happens on a Sunday. So mm. we absolutely have our Sunday roast. And a Sunday roast really is best eaten in a traditional English pub. Now, the way I like to do this is to go on a walk first. So we might talk a little bit about walking, eh? Um, because we're big walkers here in the UK. There's nothing we like better to do on a weekend than to get the hiking boots on, get all the water, windproof gear, doesn't matter what the weather's like, and go on a walk. Because now this surprised me, Philippa. I um, People may know of Br- Bill Bryson. He's an American, Canadian actually, maybe. Can't quite remember. Sorry if I've offended anybody there. Um, who came over to the UK and he's written lots of books about life. Uh, he started off by writing about life in the UK. I think it was Notes from a Small Island, which was absolutely hilarious. But one of the things he made a point of saying was that unlike in uh, stateside, in the UK, we have thousands of miles of public footpaths that crisscross our countryside. So you can, whereas a lot of um, major sites might be thronging with people, if you want to get away and enjoy the English countryside and have a bit of peace and space, there's nothing better than grabbing your ordnance survey map and plotting a route across the countryside, doing a lovely circular walk, and then ending up back at the pub for a lovely pint of something. Oh, yeah, that's the other English thing, isn't it, Philippa? Do you want to talk about beer, Philippa? I am am a a beer drinker, I was going to say aficionado, but probably not quite that. um, But I, I really do like my ale and my beer. And we have great breweries here in the UK. Um, and lots of microbreweries. So you will find in your pubs, especially your independent pubs, which generally are kind of your older ones as well. So you get that, you know, that kind of history vibe will be um, associated with a local brewery. So you'll get a local beer as well, um, which is which is fabulous. But I mean, you have to. And if you're, if you, uh, let's include Ireland in this. If you're over in Ireland, make sure you have a Guinness. You absolutely must have a Guinness in Ireland if it's Ireland that you're going to. But yes, um, a pint of beer in a pub after a walk is just fabulous. <laughs> with, and with your Sunday roast, which is basically it could be um, sort of traditionally it's roast beef, but you could have lamb or you could have chicken, and then you have your roast potatoes. Oh <laughs> my goodness, roast <laughs> potatoes! I could just eat a plate. In fact, I do. I often this will make you laugh, guys. I often go into because I'm a vegetarian and I can't eat any wheat or grain, so I can't often have the vegetarian option. So I often go in and say. Can I have the roast beef without the beef, please? <laughs> so what I end up with is a plate full of vegetables. And I usually cheekily saying, can I have an extra portion of roast potatoes? I love roast potatoes. Oh, my goodness. You've got to. If you, if you haven't had English roast potatoes, just make sure you do this when you're next over here. They are gorgeous. And look for a pub. If you, if you get the choice, look for one that puts on a carvery. Um, because they will carve the meat for you there and then in front of you, and you might be able to get a bit of bit of it all. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And of course, we've got Yorkshire pudding. We shouldn't forget say, Yorkshire pudding. You have to have a Yorkshire pudding. So, what do you want to do? Explain what a Yorkshire pudding is. I, well, I mean, it's a basic batter mix, um, but you you cook them in like a muffin tray, if you like. So they end up as like these little 
pies, but they're not pies. They're just this batter mix. And they just go lovely. When I was a kid, I used to hollow out the middle and make a little stack of the different elements of my roast dinner in the Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd do that in public. I do think the place is nice. Yeah, but I do think there are places now where you, where they almost use the Yorkshire pudding because you can also do them in big, ones. big, yeah. big Yorkshire puddings. You get huge Yorkshire puddings and um, you can have sausages and onion and gravy and that's called toad in the hole, just in case mm. you're interested. That's a bit of a delicacy. Uh, so it's lovely. Um, and it's nothing to do with toads. Um, but there you go. Um, but I think you can actually, there's somewhere, I don't know what it's up in Yorkshire, where they now use the Yorkshire pudding to wrap the whole meal and you just kind of eat it like a wrap anyway uh so so um so lovely and a a kind of a traditional and you really can get some very very old pubs so I think Mm. the oldest pubs in Britain are like there's one not too far from me in Stowe that's like 900 and something AD you know but a lot of them will be of the sort of um sort of you know, several hundred years old, won't they? Um, particularly yeah. rurally and in the countryside. And quite often you will get a pub wherever you've got a town, more than one, or a village. So y- y- you should easily be able to find them. Yes. I live near a canal system. So um, I don't know if the countries are as familiar with with the canal system, but this was um, basically a waterway that was built in our industrial revolution to you know, prior to trucks and this is how everything got um transported around and I'm in the in the Midlands so we've got a big canal network and in well very often along the canal network you get pubs at the different uh, stop-offs so you can combine a really good walk because the canal networks now are generally, uh, well, they are for pleasure. So, people, you know, they're a good route if you want a flattish walk as well. Uh, and you will come across a nice country pub as mm. well. So have a look into that. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. So we've stuffed ourselves with an English breakfast and a Sunday roast. But just in case we're still peckish, let's move on to what we might have in the middle of the afternoon. So middle of the afternoon. Now I'm a cream tea type of gal, especially of uh, in a, in the summer. You know, I do feel very cheated if I haven't had <laughs> quite a few cream teas. I think you need summer. to define cream teas in case there are any people out there unlucky enough not to have had one placed in front of them. Indeed, if you haven't, then this has to go on your bucket list. It is effectively scones scones depending on where you come from uh, served with jam clotted cream and a cup of tea oh, yummy and 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 if you're lucky the scones have just been bra- baked so they're just a little bit warm and mm-hmm. yummy and that's the thing of course Devon and Cornwall you know you get your Devon cream tea and your Cornish cream tea and that's all about whether you put the jam or the cream on first big arguments we won't go into that here today that's for another another place um but if I go down to Devon that's one of the first things I do I just drive down park the car get out go to a cafe right bring on the green tea uh, and it's like I've arrived I'm on holiday now yeah. it does make you feel like you're on holiday green tea yeah Lovely. So, of course, a full afternoon tea is more than just a cream tea. A full afternoon tea, you could go to a hotel 
often these are served in hotels um, or fancy kind of restaurants. And you would expect then to get um, a three tiers of pl- it's kind of single stand, a cake stand, isn't it? In three tiers. And you would have your, um, I'm trying to think, you've got your sort of different layers. You've got your sweet cakes and and then you've also got your finger sandwiches, etc. And I think there's a whole there is a whole etiquette about how you eat afternoon teas, um, starting from the I think the sandwiches and going to the sweet. But I, I can't quite remember. But I need to I need to gen up on that because quite honestly, whenever I've had a cream uh, an afternoon tea, I just dive into whatever takes my fancy. Yeah. I don't know about you. I I mean I have a really bad sweet tooth, and yet I always find that um, afternoon teas even for me, have a bit too many cakes compared to um, sandwiches, mainly because I feel like I can't possibly try all the different varieties that are there without looking like a pig. So, um, <laughs> that yeah. like really good. I, um, so it puts me in a, in a you know, you're, you're in a situation where you're, you know, because it, it's a bit of a treat. That's not a day-to-day yeah. British thing to do. It is a bit of a treat. So you're in a place with a little bit more etiquette around it. And yet all I want to do is take a bite out of each of the different. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think it's a something for two, isn't it? Cream tea for two, because you do get, as you say, Philippa, there's a lot that comes your way. And if you're really wanting to enjoy it and, and live in style, you would, of course, not have tea, but you'd have a glass of champagne with your mm. afternoon tea. So that's taking it up a notch. And yeah, you know, you can you can have this. Obviously, the absolute paragon of the place to go to have afternoon tea is the Ritz. Afternoon tea at the Ritz in London. Now, you know, you would have to book in well in advance and there's going to be a price tag attached to it. But, you know, if you want to do what, you know, the kind of thing that you should do, that would be a great thing. Um, and then you've got some historic like uh, places like um, Thornbury Castle, um, which is, of course, um, big on the Tudor itinerary, and they do a lovely cream tea in their garden. And in fact, I hope to go for one later on this summer. So I shall, um, maybe I shall send a few, um, put a few um, images on social media so I can illustrate the whole Yes. Panoply of a cream tea. Yeah. For everyone. But what about strawberries and cream at Wimbledon? I mean, we're going to come on to talk about Wimbledon as part of the season, but strawberries and cream are very British, aren't they? They're very British around Wimbledon time. You know, we do actually for um, for a country that doesn't grow fruit particularly well or soft fruit particularly well strawberries actually are a thing are our thing I think we, we you know we're good at growing strawberries um and yes there's a particular season it happens to be around Wimbledon and uh in fact around about now-ish now now uh, oh, yeah yes. and they go particularly well either with a sprinkling of sugar or and or cream mm. Mm-hmm. Delish. I'm a particular strawberry lover and I my season for strawberries opens on the 1st of June and closes on the 31st of July. And I refuse to have strawberries outside of that time because they just don't taste right. If you want to enjoy an English strawberry, eat them in June or July and make sure they're at room temperature, no refrigeration of your strawberries. I'm a bit of a connoisseur, as you might have guessed, about strawberries. Yeah, I didn't know you were so particular about strawberries. <laughs> I'm very particular. And I rather shocked somebody on Clubhouse when I suggested actually a really great way of eating your strawberries. It's not with cream, but it's with black pepper ground on top of them. That is absolutely incredible. It brings out the taste of the strawberry. 
Well, there you go. I did not know that. Well, there you go. You see, I've, I've shared a fact with you today and hopefully with all of our listeners. Okay, so I think we're going to move on to um, perhaps the end of the day. And we've got one more very British thing to we share. We have got one more very British thing, uh, which um, you will regret, I think, if you have been all the way here and not done this, you'll be like, no. And that's fish and chips. <laughs> Fish and chips and whatever ancillary uh, side dish that is probably more regional. So you can get fish and chips um, all over, whether you're in the Midlands or a coast. You know, we all do fish and chips. You will find a fish and chip shop. At the chippy. At the chippy. The chippy, yeah. (laughs) I think even in my small, even in the, like within walking distance, I think I have three. Yeah. You know, they're, they're really quite frequent you can find them but yes depending on whereabouts in the country you are will probably depend on what else you can get to go with your fish and chips I'm thinking this off the top of my head so what do you like what do you like to have with your fish and chips then Philippa this I don't think is very traditional but we do serve curry sauce with fish and chips which I quite like it's definitely I think a British version of curry as well I mean it's not it's not a very spicy or anything but mushy peas as well oh I'm a mushy pea girl I won't have any chips without mushy peas on the side. It's it's a catastrophe if you went into a fish and chip shop and they were out of mushy peas. I mean, forget it. <laughs> oh, I think well, you can get battered sausage in uh, if you're not a fish fan in some in some chippies and uh, rice, which I've never actually. I've I've never been a roe fan, but you can get roe. Um, oh yeah. So and, and if you're really lucky, they might give you the the bits, the batter bits. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and there are definitely, there are fish and chip shops or chippies, because that's what we call fish and chip shops locally, a vernacular for that is chippies. Go, I'm going down the chippy. Yeah. And there are chippies and there are chippies. So mm. there are some that really stand out and are really, you know, their quality of their fish and chips is something else. So I hope if you do come over to the UK and you try and find a chippy, that you hit one of the better ones. Look out for one with a big queue. Outside of it. Yeah. Look out for the queue. And like my local chippy. You. Yeah, my local chippy. There is always a queue of six or seven or eight people waiting for the place to open uh, out the door. And uh, yeah, that's what you need to look out for. You can oh. smell them as well. You know, if you're if you're in the in the area, you can smell that. You know, the, the the chips. Oh, yummy, yummy! And of course, the thing to do is have your fish and chips at the seaside. So I know, I know there are not so many sort of Tudor places at the seaside, but there are some historic places and castles that overlook you know seaside so so yeah if you if you do find yourself the happy occasion of um being on the road being at the seaside go and get some chippy get some something from the chippy and enjoy it while you're looking at the sea (laughs) just watch out for the seagulls if you are near the sea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in fact we i was just on holiday in suffolk and we did just this uh in one of the um seaside towns in suffolk and we were eating outside and we weren't attacked by the seagull but i looked up and saw this seagull coming over and i saw it drop its load and <laughs> i i could see it was going to hit my partner and i was like, I was like no anyway it splattered all over his uh, shoulder but yeah they oh, are yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but yeah they can be a bit um, wary bit bit high, high expectations the seagulls of they do. Fed. Yeah. 
Oh, goodness me. I'm absolutely starving now, but we haven't, we're kind of going to leave the food behind, aren't we? Because we want to talk another aspect about another aspect of kind of Britishness. And oh my goodness, this is, this is for those of you who really do want to be part of the well healed of English society. So if you want to treat yourself, you really want to experience the height of Britishness, particularly for the upper classes, darling. Um, you want to, um, get yourself involved in what's called the season. Mm -hmm. So the season is a whole set, probably about 20 different events that run from around about March time through to September. And they are all sorts of different high society events that, um, I guess some are more accessible perhaps than others. Some are more toffee-nosed than others. Mm. Um, but we thought we'd just talk about some of them uh, to introduce them to you because if you are coming over here and you really just want to really taste one of these, it's worthwhile just knowing what's out there and then going and getting involved, don't you think, Philippa? I do, I do. And uh, you know, it, and it will depend on what your um, your normal likes are. But we have a lot of, you know, our summer sports. So you've got, you know, some I was going to say about cricket. You can go and see professional cricket. Do you know if I'm just driving around my local villages? It really is. It's not. It's not just something you see on TV. You will see local village teams playing oh. cricket on a weekend in the summer. It I'm is so, a real thing. I'm so <laughs> glad you brought up because nothing makes me happier than when I do just that. You know, you're tootling along in a car. You come into a village and suddenly it opens up. There's the village green. You've got all the gents in their whites and you've got the pavilion and and actually it's a long time since I've done this but anybody can stop and just sort of pull up and and sit down and there's nothing like the sound of that ball hitting the it's willow isn't it the uh yeah, the, the wicket, yeah, yeah. and it's so sedate and it's so english and if you were managed to maybe they're serving tea and cake at the pavilion as well oh that would be a wonderful thing to do yes thank you so for it, mentioning you know it's worth even if you can't if you're not interested in a big event i just thought i'd mention that because yeah. it you know it is it is it's something i noticed the other day and i thought well, that, that could be something that people just think is not real you know just just in films or whatever but no we Definitely, villages will be playing their crickets, cricket in their whites um, on weekends in the summer. It's really a nice, um, a nice mm. view. A nice yeah, summer. yeah, it really is. So the season. Well, mm. for those of you who don't know, the season begins in March with what's called the Cheltenham Festival. So, as Philippa was alluding to, we've got sort of different themes. A lot of them are sporty, but there is also some arts in there as well. So, Cheltenham Festival is a horse race. It's a big horse race. A lot of the Irish come over. Cheltenham is besieged uh, for the, well, whatever period of time it's on, a um, few days that it's on. And that's followed quite closely by the Grand National up at Aintree. So, another big a horse racing event. But then we come to the boat race. Do you want to talk about the boat race? Because I think this boat race would be good because A, it's London-esque, it's in the London area, and B, it's um, it's quite, you know, anybody can just go along and watch it, can't they? So do you want to just say a little bit about what the boat race is? Are we talking about the Oxford-Cambridge yeah. boat race? Okay, so this, I mean, I, do you know, I should remember off the top of my head, but I don't as much as I should because I've done a video about this. Um, and the, 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 it, it started off as sort of a personal rivalry, this uh, Oxford-Cambridge boat race. You know, 
probably a nine hundred years ago now. I can't exactly remember. But yeah, I mean, if you can secure yourself a place on the riverbank, you can go and see it. I mean, how how wonderful! It's it's got a long, long tradition. It's this rivalry, obviously, between our two top um, universities or two of the top universities. And uh, I presume it's world famous. It's certainly famous uh, here. Everyone's heard of it. Um, and yeah, you, I don't think you can get much more competitive either. Than this no, one. and it's free, isn't it? As you say, as long as you can, you know, just just get secure yourself a place on the bank or one of the bridges or whatever. I guess you can watch it for free. It's uh, mm-hmm. so so that that's that's a part of the the calendar and the season. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also got um, badminton horse trials in May, but this one I thought again was quite interesting. We're we're still in May, but we've got what's called the Royal Windsor Horse Show. So again, it's very horses, lots of lots of horses involved in the season. Yeah, uh, my darling. Uh, and um, but this takes place in the grounds of Windsor Castle. So if you happen to be visiting Windsor in May, which could well happen, you know, May is a great season to travel, as we've said before. Um, and you happen to be in the Windsor area, you like horses, you might want to see if you could book yourself a ticket to go and see the Royal Windsor Horse Show. Um, but then we've got something different also in May. We've got Glyndebourne, and that's an opera festival, and that's down in Sussex. That's a complete, we're now into the arts now. That's something completely different. I must admit, I've never been. Have you been, Philippa? I haven't. My sister has been a number of times. Ah. Yeah. Any insider tips on Glyndebourne? Just it's very dress up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think dress up, but you're outside, so there's the <laughs> the difficulties of grass and stilettos to consider. Yep. Um, but uh, she's not a huge opera fan, which is um, which makes it a little bit more of a difficult uh, gig. <laughs> Does she go for the socialising? <laughs> She goes as the wife of someone who has to socialise. Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, but yes, it's very highbrow. But if you love your opera, then I think it's, it sa- I mean, to me, it sounds like a fabulous experience. I have to yeah, say. I think all um, of these, all of these are just, they're experiences, you know, and, and, and I think any of them, even if you're not particularly into horses, it's just to go and say, oh, I've been part of that. And speaking of you talking about high heels and grass, which leads me on to June, uh, which uh, the polo season starts in June. So the first event is, I'm laughing because it's the polo season starts in June, darling. Um, so that's me a very posh voice. Um, so, yes. So, of course, one of the traditions, isn't it, with polo is you got to go on to the actual polo pitch and replace yeah. the divots. Yeah. So, uh, I was just looking at a picture of a load of uh, sort of uh, women dressed all in their finery and their stilettos, sort of teetering across the polo pitch, replacing the divots. So, if you do happen to go to any of the polo matches, do be aware of the uh, divot ceremony that goes on at some <laughs> point. And, um, yeah, do join in. Um, but I suppose we're getting end of June Royal Ascot is um, very hoity-toity isn't it and you've got to dress to the nines and I have been to Royal Ascot so I can um, give you some insider information uh, yes there are uh, dress there are uh, certain expectations as to how you must dress at Royal Ascot I have to say it was slipping a little the other year when I went which uh, I wasn't very impressed with because <laughs> I think you know let's have some standards people you know uh so hats for the ladies uh no bare legs please and uh no not too short skirts either (laughs) sounds ideal yeah so it's a great place to dress up but you are again 
you will be on grass uh, on, in order to get into to Ascot. Um, you, you generally have to park unless you're the Queen or somebody who's a few people I think actually did get helicopters in. <laughs> um, other than that, you're going to be having you're going to have to walk um, across grass and, uh, and up some. Uh, sort of hard standing road sort of thing so um yes but uh I, I mean it's it's a really interesting event actually the queen was there the day i was there it was the day that she was there we, um, we should mention it's horse racing i don't think we've actually oh, mentioned sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, yes it's horse racing <laughs> so and i had no idea so of course i just i mean i had very few bets but they were lost on all of them so if you do see me there ask me what i bet on and don't <laughs> don't be the same as me um but again it's you know you've been there it's the atmosphere um it is very exciting i think there's six races over the day um and uh, and you you, you and, soon get to know and did to- you drink copious amounts of champagne or Prosecco? Yes, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm jolly glad to hear it because why wouldn't you go to Royal Ascot or indeed any of these events yeah. and not indulge in a tad of champagne along the way? I would say it's probably obligatory unless you are an, a person who does not drink alcohol at all. Before we go any further, if you enjoy these podcasts, did you know that you can support my work by becoming a patron of the show for as little as $1 a month. A link to find out more about this programme and the different levels of sponsorship available is included in the description associated with this podcast. And while I can't thank you in person, here's a big to say a massive thank you from me. So now it's back to the show. Um, so we are um, getting to, uh, we're in June, Wimbledon is next, Wimbledon's on right now as we're recording this. This is the one that I would really love to go to. I'm waiting somebody, to somebody to invite me into the Royal Box. It hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but I shall just, I shall keep my fingers crossed. Never know who's listening. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, yes, and of course, that's traditionally where you have your strawberries and cream. I think they sell tons and tons of strawberries and cream at Wimbledon. Uh, yes. And Henley follows in July. And Henley's one I've not been. Oh, no, I have been to Henley. I have. No, I tell a lie. Henley is the um, royal regatta. So Henry is a Henry. <laughs> I've got Henry's on the brain. Henley is a town in South Oxfordshire. It's on the Thames. And every year they have the royal regatta. And again, it's one of those events, um, I think, it's really on the kind of the high end, I think, of events. And again, there's a real dress code. And traditionally, if I'm not wrong, maybe you can help me out, Philippa, you know, the men wear the blazers and the straw boaters. Is that okay. true? I've not been down to Henley for, uh, actually, for this, but that does sound right, the boat, the, sort of the flat. Uh, yes. The brim. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so, and again, the ladies dress very elegantly and there are a whole series of races that take place. I think actually the racing pretty much is just a sideshow to the general socialising and eating and, and consuming of champagne. Uh, uh, and of course, uh, if you're lucky enough to get beautiful weather, what a lovely thing to do down by the river. Um, speaking of water, we're going to move on to uh, our penultimate event. There are others, but this is one that stood out for me, and that's Cow's Week, which is all about sailing, and that happens off the south coast of England, sort of in an area of water called the Solent, which is sandwiched between the Isle of Wight 
and sort of the south coast Portsmouth etc and that's very again that's very highbrow but that's for the sailing fraternity this is a yacht race isn't it it is and it's it's very prestigious I think it gets you know a lot of a world-class um I don't even know whether you call them yachters (laughs) yeah I don't know, sailors. I don't know. Yachters. That's terrible. I'll call them I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry, listeners. I really am. Uh, if you're into it, you'll know what they're called. But exactly. We... Maybe you can write in and tell us. And we're, <laughs> we're obviously, as you can see, not aficionados of having done many of these high browse events. Um, However, but... though, the solar intercourse does have a Tudor link because this is where Henry VIII's Mary Rose uh, sank. So if you are going down for cows and you're in the Portsmouth area, that is where at the uh, dockyard there, the historic Royal Dockyard, you can go and see the Mary Rose while you're down there. Yeah, so so that is a really nice tie. And Cows, if you're interested, is a town on the Isle of Wight, just in case you're thinking, why is it called Cows Week? So, um, and um, gosh, I haven't even been to the Isle of Wight. That's just shocking. I feel feel terribly embarrassed now. I need to rectify this immediately. Um, So uh, anyway, um, so that's one for you if you like sailing or you're interested or you are down Mary Roseway. So, but just be aware that the prices will go through the roof. They do get very high. If if you're looking to go and stay in Portsmouth and suddenly the, the prices look a little bit high for a holiday inn or whatever, then it's probably because it's cow's week. And that will be in August. So we're in the height of season, the height of the summer. But then we finish, I say there are a couple of other events, but we're going to wrap up our chat today with the the final one, which is completely different again. It's all about art and antiques. And this is the, the LAPADA, La Pada, Art and Antiques um, Fair, which is held in London in Mayfair. So very swanky district of London. Uh, so again, that's for a different sort of a different in- set of interests. Um, so if you're into antiques, maybe that's the thing to do. I have no idea how you get tickets or how you book or how easy it is. But um, that, my friends, concludes the English season. So now you are bang up to date with all the hot tickets that you need to get <laughs> if you <laughs> want to um, fit in with the aristocracy and the wealthy and the well healed over in the UK. So anyway, Philippa, any final thoughts before we wrap up our chat today? Just if you're not particularly, if you're more like us, as you can tell, we've done these odd, odd things occasionally. But, um, you know, if you're more like us, have a look um, at other events that are going on. There's so much stuff that, that goes on, you know, uh, between sort of Easter and, and October um, time in lots of historic places. I'm, I'm actually thinking about um, just off the top of my head, but the Hampton Court Palace flower show um or the Hampton Court flower show I think it is and so if you you know you want to see that it it literally is in in the vicinity of Hampton Court Palace so you can you know there's lots of lots of things that um that are on that uh just have a look what could be on the diary of events for anywhere you're interested in going and you'll probably find something quite um quite exciting yeah i mean i'm minded i'm minded you know obviously a lot of the historic places will have reenactors there mm-hmm. or some of them will have reenactors and and some of the bigger places will have jousting so it is worth if you're heading over and you're thinking what date should i do and you just want to sample that little bit extra 
Mm-hmm. Um, either look on their website, although my experience is they don't always put all their dates on the website for some of these events, uh, particularly the smaller ones. So mm-hmm. you might even just want to give the, you know, the, the, the venue a call and just say, you got anything coming up over the summer? Um, and it can just add that little bit extra to your day out to see some Tudor ladies, gentlemen sort of flouncing around in their gowns. Um, She says smiling because that's exactly what I'm going to be doing this Sunday at Brockley Castle Um, or or, or the jousters, which are always a spectacle. Um, Mm. So anyway, I think, gosh, there's lots to do there. I hope that's um, entertained and uh, you've been smiling and laughing along with us. And uh, it's given you lots of information, lots of food, food for thought, uh, particularly on the food side, um, but maybe perhaps something extra special if you're coming over here for an extra special event. So um, that's just a big thank you from me, Philippa, for today. It's been such a hoot. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. That's been really fun. I've enjoyed that. Well, my friends, I hope you did enjoy that as much as Philippa and I did, and that, in fact, you've had some food for thought and possibly some inspiration for the next time that you are planning a trip here to the UK. Now, if you stay tuned to the end of the show, I will be picking up on, in fact, three real-life events going on here in the UK over the next few weeks for those of you who are already on the ground and want to make the most of getting some summer sunshine, (laughs) fingers crossed, some fresh air and to combine that with a little bit of Tudor history. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, it's time to move on to the second part of the show where I welcome a guest who's going to share with us their recommendations in this instance for a place to stay. And today's special guest is John Coupland from John England Tours, who will in a moment introduce himself and tell you all about his work in the Tudor sphere. So let's go over to my interview right now and catch up with John. Hello, John. Welcome to the Tudor History and Travel Show, Travel Essentials. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Well, I'm really well today. Thank you very much. And it's lovely to have you here on the show. I know we've spoken a little bit, but we've not actually done any podcast recordings together or indeed yet met in person. I'm sure that pleasure is to come, I hope, anyway. Yes, hope so too. Thank you for having me here. You're most welcome. Now, before we dive into your, and today you're covering a a kind of a recommended place to stay associated, well, not just associated, it's a glorious Tudor building. Before we dive into that, please do let people know what you do at John England Tours. Oh, that's great. Oh, I'm John Cootland and my brand name is John England Tours. And briefly, what I deliver are private tours. So they're private walking tours in London outside, um, but I'm also fully insured uh, private driver guide. So what I do is take my guests to historic castles and uh, houses in Southeast England. Uh, so yeah, um, some of them have a great Tudor theme and some more medieval, but it's a mix and match. Now, I, when I was speaking to you and saying, where would you recommend you came up with a place I'd never heard of before? And I love that. Uh, so can you tell us about what Tudor location you've chosen to tell us about today? Thank you, Sarah. It's Seckford Hall, and it's based in Suffolk, uh, mm. east side of England. Beautiful place. What would you like oh. to know? 
One of my favourite counties, as everybody will know, I keep banging on about Suffolk because it's so rich in Tudor history. There's so much to see there. But I hadn't come across it before. So can you, first of all, maybe describe it and tell us a little bit about the building? And if you do know anything about its Tudor history, that would be great to hear too. Sure, of course. Just to manage expectations, it was a few years ago. And uh, at the time I had my corporate hat on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's a real reflection of the importance of our clients at the time. So I used to work for a major telecommunications company and uh, the research and development facility wasn't far from a place called Woodbridge in Suffolk. And that's in East Anglia for those who perhaps haven't visited this side of England before or that side, should I say, because I don't live in Suffolk. <laughs> and, um, and when the budgets, the corporate budgets were good, we used to wine and dine our corporate clients at Seckford Hall. Um, officially, it's actually called Seckford Hotel at Hall. Sorry, start again. Seckford Hall Hotel and Spa, a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. But I just like to call it Seckford Hall because of the history. And to answer your question, Sarah, you know, and I'm sure you relate to this and many of your listeners, First impressions really count. And although it was a few years ago, uh, my first visit there, I've been there a couple of times um, with my corporate hats. And um, I just remember driving up the driveway and just first impressions, beautiful, glorious red brick front to the building. And, you know, just grabs you, doesn't it? Well, I I have a picture of Seckford Hall up in front of me. And for anybody who wants to do the same, again, as ever, there'll be a link to the web page for Seckford Hall on the show notes that accompany this podcast. And it's one of those dreamy Tudor locations, which, as you say, it's got that rich russet red brick that we all associated with Tudor buildings covered in ivy and then surrounded by immaculate looking gardens. I mean, they talk on their website about a romantic place to stay. And yeah, I could quite easily sweep myself off my feet and go and stay there on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And my wife isn't listening, Sarah, but be careful. (laughs) No, but um, basically, yes, it was in the corporate sort of cloud or hats. And I definitely want to go there again um, for personal reasons, because, of course, what I do these days are the private tours. Now, that's not my domain, but of course, Tudor history obviously interests me. And I'll tell you what I really, really like about the place, Sarah, and to the listeners. Mm is I love its quirkiness. So shall I just expand on that? Please do. Tell us more. Sweep us up. Yes. Though it's got like a Tudor hall within it, it's not grand and it's not imposing. It's very homely. And there's some artifacts in there. And it just feels like very homely. And although it is a hotel and spa today, there's less, it's very subtle. It's uh, less commercial than some other places I've been to, if that makes any sense. Mm. Mm, you know, it does. Uh, yes, because some of these hotels can just be a bit too corporate. Um, yes. But when they retain their charm and intimacy, I think there's something very special about that. And, and any location that's got, you know, obviously is popular for weddings. Although, yes, you know, that, that can be a sort of commercial side to it. 
But if they're popular with weddings, there's got to be a good reason why these places are so special for obvious reasons. That's my take, really. Yeah, I think there'd be lots of lovely photo opportunities looking at the grounds and the building. I think you could get quite lost there. And, and as you mentioned, I know this is not Tudor, but it does have a glorious looking spa. So if you are, if you are up for pampering yourself, uh, and let's face it, you know, most of us girlies are, um, you know, that would be a great place to go. And of course, you know, let's not forget, going back to what we were talking about at the top, John, this place is in Suffolk, which is just, as I said, it's got so much wonderful Tudor history around it. Yes, totally. And in fact, with Seckford Hall, um, there's a great heritage to it, really. I mean, there's a medieval heritage, so apparently... I did have to research a little bit on this because, of mm. course, you know, when you've got your, your suit and tie on and, you know, um, and hosting corporate clients, of course, you've got a different hat on. But what's really interesting is that there was apparently a very old medieval house and um, the Tudors, <laughs> various owners, the Seckford family, and that's Thomas Seckford. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he's not to be confused with the Thomas Seckford of Ludlow. This is a different Thomas Seckford, who apparently was in Queen Elizabeth I's court. But I'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. And um, so a lot of the credit goes to him and his son, okay, in terms of building on the Tudor aspects and developing, you know, what was a manor house, really, originally, and a home, um, which is great. And, you know, Sarah, these things are extended over the years not just decades but centuries and it just makes it just wonderful uh there's a really nice ambience to the place yes yeah absolutely and i don't suppose we know if it was ever visited by elizabeth the first on a progress great question sarah i was coming into that mm-hmm. and it was <laughs> apparently she visited and held court there once brilliant i love it i mean she did get around didn't she old yes, elizabeth she did. the first Yes. In a good way, of course. In a very good way. (laughs) How wonderful, though, that she made it over to Suffolk and that's got that history. And quite often, because I'm thinking of another place that I might want to feature for another another episode, Borsley Hall in Northamptonshire. She also visited there and we know which bedroom she stayed in. I don't suppose they have a Queen Elizabeth I bedroom, do they? Not that I know of. And if they did, I certainly wasn't allocated that bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) I think you need No, but having said that, no complaints, because, of course, you know, the budgets were good then in terms of the corporates and we did sign a couple of good deals and something must have worked. (laughs) Um, But uh, yes, of course, you can get the four poster bed thing there in terms of experience. And from what I can remember, you know, of course, you know, I had the panel walls and the quirkiness, you know, when you get the floorboards creaking and things, it's just great. And mm. like I said earlier, for me, you know, there's got to be a homely feel to this place. And it must be actually really challenging for those who run these places today. Uh, because, of course, for the weddings, there's a commercial side to it. But, of course, balancing that with, of course, keeping the, the heritage intact as well. And I'm sure you've come across other places to do it superbly, Sarah. Yeah, there are there are one or two, and it's a total delight when you do find them, actually. Um, so, yeah, so anything else we need to know about Seckford Hall? Or maybe it's about some of the places that you can, that are in the vicinity of the hall that you might want to visit if you're there. 
Sure. Um, just, uh, yeah, I'll split that into two parts. Of course, it was developed over the centuries. And, um, and then um, what's really a nice touch is uh, just very briefly, um, a gentleman called Sir Ralph Harwood, I think it's important to mention him. Uh, he was the former financial secretary to King George V. Ah. And he actually instigated a lot of the change certainly about 70 years ago. So great credit to him because I think these things are important. Without these people stepping in years and years later, in this case, centuries later, perhaps you know, the, you know, what we see today wouldn't be as glorious, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I mean, the one that springs to mind is, is Hever Castle, of course, you know, without the Astors stepping in. And yes. um, I know some people don't like the fact that maybe the interiors are not authentically 16th century, but at least we have the castle. And I think those, you know, those, those people who stepped in to salvage these buildings, well, we've got to be grateful for that. Yes, totally agreed there. And, you know, and it's not intimidating. And like I said, it's got that homely feel to it. In terms of the second part of my answer um, with uh, regard to, you know, what else is there in a locality? Firstly, for those who perhaps haven't visited the side of England, I'd like to say that Suffolk, like you said, is beautiful. And what I like about Suffolk is that it is off the beaten track. I know that's a bit of a cliche. Um, just to, you know, if you're going by train, um, it'll take about an hour and 20 minutes uh, to get to Woodbridge and you can, you know, uh, grab a taxi, 10 minute ride. And that's from and central London, right, John? London. So it'll take about two hours, perhaps in a little bit more door to door, depending where in London you're staying. And what, can I can I just ask, John, which station would you go from if you want to, if you were in London and you wanted to head out to Suffolk? I believe it's Liverpool Street. And okay. uh, you can either go to Ipswich or you can actually uh, stop at Woodbridge. And um, so, and then you can, you know, if you don't have a vehicle, of course, if you're taking a train, of course, you would have to perhaps, you know, um, unless you're hiring a vehicle, uh, take a taxi, which is probably about 10, 15 minutes extra. So it's very doable. And mm-hmm. to answer your question in terms of, you know, what else there is to do, um, Sutton Hoo, that famous fine site um, where, you know, obviously this, uh, the, the legacy, and legacy of the Vikings um, you know, it's a 10-minute drive away from Seckford Hall, which wow, is... Brilliant. And, of yeah. course, that's been, that's been made so popular recently by that wonderful film, The Dig, which is just, yes. oh, my goodness, it's so, such a lovely film to watch. It's so yes. beautifully shot. Uh, so a lot of people going there, I think, or a lot more. I think it's boosted their visitor number, as, as yes, you can imagine. I would imagine. I would imagine. And the other place, um, and I'm sure you know about this place, I haven't visited myself, is Framlingham Castle. Oh, yes. And uh, so that's not far away. And I believe that would probably be about a half an hour drive away from the hall. Well, that's that's. I wish I wish I'd have known because um, I've just recently been on holiday to Suffolk. I've been over to Framlingham again. It is one of my favorite places to go not only because the castle and of course it was the place that Mary the first found out that she had been proclaimed queen of England it was previously a Howard property the second duke of Norfolk died there at a ripe old age and of course we've got the magnificent Tudor tombs within I think it's St Michael the Archangel is the local church just next to the castle and they are just 
unparalleled and so worthy of a visit. So I'm a huge fan of Framlingers. People will know if they follow my blog or the podcast. So, so what a great place to stay. I'm loving it. I know. I think it's got, you know, a lot to offer, you know, without being commercialized, which I just like. And of course, you know, for those who are interested in visiting, you can explore and you don't necessarily have to have a car. Of course, you can book a taxi and get um, around the place. And as you know, sir, what's really quite beneficial, um, you, you know, if there are any cyclists out there, you know, that part of the country is very flat, isn't it? Mm, yes, it is. It's not, it's not particularly hilly. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and that makes a difference, really. But there's always pros and cons. You know, you don't perhaps get those rolling hills in certain parts of the country. But then again, you know, it's more accessible. So a very historic place indeed. Yeah, and if you go to Suffolk, maybe you could also go to Lavenham. There's Kentwell and the reenactment. And don't forget to look out for Suffolk Pink Houses, which are, you know, absolutely uh, native to that particular part of the world. Uh, originally covered in pig's blood, I imagine. John, do you know any differently? No, I, I didn't know that, actually. And again, you know, this uh, it, <laughs> it lends more than a thought that I need to go there again and explore, you know. <laughs> um, you know, we're blessed with all these places. And uh, definitely Sutton Hoo is on my bucket list uh, for England. Yeah, it's a nice Why I haven't been there yet, personally, I have no idea. But of course, we're going further back in time. Yeah, but it happens, doesn't it, John? These sometimes they're just places you've not been to. Um, you were talking to me about Osborne House, which, of course, was the home of Queen Victoria on the Isle of Wight just before yes. we came on air. And I was having to sheepishly admit, I've never been to the Isle of Wight or to Osborne House. So anyway, yeah, it keeps us sorry. busy, John, doesn't it? It keeps us busy. It does. And um, like I said earlier, um, even though I concentrate really more on um, London for the walking tours and those of outdoors, um, but of course, as a private guide in Southeast England, even in the county in, of Kent and Sussex, I'm still discovering quirky places. They don't all have to be big castles. Mm. Um, you know, there, as you know, Sarah, there's Pencil's Place, which I know you've covered a few times. Beautiful. I don't want to digress too much, but these things are on offer, you know. Mm. And um, so that's what I try to um help my visitors to give them access to these places you know by vehicle absolutely well it's a good place probably to wrap up our conversation about Seckford Hall but just to say how can people get in touch with you John oh, that's very kind I'm having a website built as we speak so that will be johnenglandtours.com um, but I'm certainly on Facebook and Instagram as John England Tours. So your focus predominantly are historic places, particularly medieval and Tudor places in the southeast of England, if people are interested. That's right. There's right. a lot to cover. <laughs> there are quite a lot of them. Yes, there are. You live... You live in a part of the world which is rich, rich, rich in beautiful places to see. And of course, just to say again, I'll put those links in the show notes associated with this uh, particular episode. Well, with that, I just want to say thank you, John, for um, coming on the show today and sharing with us a new place for me, which is always so delightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that's a huge thanks to John for introducing, I suspect, many of us to a completely new place to stay. Hmm, I might have to look that one up when I'm next over in Suffolk. 
But now, my friends, we are moving on to the final part of the show. And this is where I talk about and flag up some of the Tudor events that are going on over the next few weeks. And as we are still in the height of summer, as you might expect, uh, the events that I'm going to focus on today are all happening here in real life. We are trying to make the most of the best of the weather, of course. And so let's go to our first venue. And this is the Royal Armoury in Leeds. Now, Many of you will have been to the Tower of London and will have seen the exhibition of armour there, but maybe not so many of you are aware that there is also a royal armoury in the north of England, uh, near Leeds, and this houses, you know, stuff that is really relevant to the Tudor period, including a couple of pieces of armour that were worn by Henry VIII at the Field of Cloth of Gold. Now, perfectly for them. They are, of course, running a series of events over the next few weeks through August and the August Bank Holiday, which comes here at the end of August, around live combat. And indeed, over that August Bank Holiday weekend, they will also be having a tournament there. So this is being called Tudor Summer in Leeds, and it runs from the 28th of July through to the 27th of August and then over the 31st of August to the 5th of September. And according to their website, there's going to be action-packed summer fun at the Royal Armouries with lots of outdoor events and plenty to see and do in the museum as well. So I imagine it's going to be very family friendly and very popular with friend with families too. Um, But as ever at the moment, you must make sure that you book your ticket um, in advance. I don't think that it's absolutely essential, but they are recommending pre-booking uh, the arrival time to guarantee your visit because they are restricting the number of visitors on site in order to keep everyone safe. And do make sure that you just check out their website if you want to get all the latest information because of course here at the moment certain museums and places are having to close or restrict certain activities at short notice uh, due to um, people having to self-isolate and members of staff having to self-isolate at the last minute but hopefully fingers crossed that will not happen but it is um, prudent as ever to check out the website and any social media associated with any of the places that I'm going to talk about before you visit to make sure that everything is just tickety-boo. And as ever, for all of the events that I'm talking about, you will be able to find links in the show notes associated with this podcast. And a link to those show notes will, of course, as ever, be in the description below. So with that, let's move on to our second venue and that's Shaw House in Berkshire. Now again, this is somewhere I have yet to visit, but this house was built during the Elizabethan period and had an illustrious history and is still very much a very vibrant venue used today. It's used not only uh, for people to come and have a look around and enjoy the history, but it's also a big wedding and events venue as well. But they currently have an exhibition going on at the house and it's called Dressed for Shore. And as part of that exhibition, they have recreated some of the fashions and the costumes that would have been worn by those who lived at the house throughout its centuries. It's what, 500 years of history. 
So that exhibition is going on right now and the house remains open until the end of September. So if you want to check out the exact dates around that and how you can access the exhibition, then once again, just make sure that you check out the website and a link will be in the show notes. Then finally, I wanted to talk about another exhibition that has very recently opened, this time at the Mary Rose Museum down in Portsmouth. Now, I recently visited the Mary Rose and again for the first time, and I was just blown away by how amazing this museum is. It is truly a time capsule. They brought up 19,000 artefacts when they raised the Mary Rose back in the, what, early 1980s. And the museum is almost like um, an intensive care unit for the ship. It's built around the ship, which is in dry dock. And the range of artefacts that were brought up really tell us so much about the everyday life of Tudor citizens. And it's quite unique and like unlike any other museum I've ever visited. And now not only do you have the usual museum and all the exhibits to enjoy, but very recently, a new immersive experience called When Their World Ended has just been launched. So if you want to get a feel for what it was like to be on board the Mary Rose as she sank that fateful day, the 19th of July, 1545, then make sure you go along and visit the Mary Rose. And if you haven't visited recently, this will be a great excuse to go back. It is really quite something, a little unnerving, but very beautifully evocative of what happened that day and what it must have been like to be on board the ship. And once again, if you want information about how to get to the Mary Rose, ticket prices, etc., then make sure you check out their website. A link will be in the show notes. Okay, my friends, well, that is it from me for August. As you listen to this, I will be out and about collecting all sorts of audio and video content that I will be able to share with you and also with my patrons on Podbean and my members of my YouTube channel throughout the coming months. And wherever you are in the world, I do hope that you are well and you're safe. And if you're not yet here in the UK enjoying Tudor history for yourself, that you are at least beginning to plan your trip because, and here is the really good news, you may well have seen that all quarantine restrictions have been lifted um, but for visitors from the European Union, with the exception of a couple of countries, and also from the US. So we can't wait to see you back here. Right, until September, I will see you virtually on the road. And until then, of course, it is, as ever, happy time travelling. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Now remember, if you've enjoyed the show, please do like, rate and subscribe to this podcast to spread the Tudor love. Until next time.